Welcome to episode number 136 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Avoid using single-use products whenever possible, and remember to bring your reusable bags while you shop. Additional support for this episode comes from Kilter Physical Therapy and Sports Performance Center. Each physical therapy session at Kilter is a one-on-one session with a licensed physical therapist. Every treatment session will allow ample time for individual evaluation, manual treatment, modalities, and appropriate exercise prescription for your personal needs. Kilter Physical Therapy, where function follows form. For more information, visit kilterpt.com. That's K-I-L-T-E-R-P-T.com. Welcome to the Jackson Holt Connection. I am Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. Thank you, everybody, who gets out there and listens to this episode, and welcome to all of those new listeners. Remember to get out there and share this podcast because how do we make an impact in people's lives? That is by sharing stories. And my mission with this podcast is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. People sharing their stories are the same people we see walking the streets, at the post office, and in line at the bank. I feel we all have a story to share, and I want to bring you stories which you will connect with and that will add good energy to your day. My guest today is Natalia Macker. Natalia is one of our community's strongest and most upcoming leaders. Natalia has her dream job right here in Jackson Hole. She's the creative director for Off Square Theater. She's a wife, a mom of two high energy young boys, and she serves on the board of the Teton County Commissioners. Natalia first visited our community on vacation and later moved here with her husband during graduate school. Now Natalia has immersed herself and her family into the Jackson Hole community. Natalia brings together how being a performer has helped her to be an effective elected community official. Natalia shares with us some profound tidbits about life, and how we can all strengthen certain skills to help build communities rather than tearing down an established structure. Natalia, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to see you this morning. It is delightful to be here on this sunshiny day. Isn't it? Is it going to be sunny all day? I don't know, but I have never before this year felt like this shift that happens, not necessarily with the time change, but just when the the blink of the sun in the morning comes has made a huge difference in my life this year of optimism and hope for the future. (laughs) I think we all need some, not some, but lots of sunny moments. Yes. And somebody else had said this once before, and I love taking this quote that 40 degrees in the spring is a whole lot warmer than 40 degrees in the fall out here. I could not (laughs) agree with that more. You put a little dash of sunshine in there and the birds in the morning and anything feels possible. So true. So to begin, Natalia, share with us your connection to Jackson Hole. How did you land here? How long have you been here? What are you doing here? It's a good... um, Good question. My connection to Jackson Hole started 
not that long ago. I came here, I think, like many people on a vacation and uh, had my eyes wide open to what is this marvelous place and also what is this fantastic arts and culture community um, as an artist and someone who works in the arts. And the blend of those two, apparently I didn't know that I really needed after some city life. And so I came on a vacation, decided in the summer between when my husband was in grad school, his two years of grad school, that we would come live here for the summer um, and work at the Center for the Arts and have an experience and then decided that we would get married here the next summer. And then in the midst of coming here a couple of times to do some wedding planning, decided that we would stay. And now here we are. um, And it's our 10-year wedding anniversary this summer. Nice. So that all happened. So came here. uh, I'm a summer lover. I think we're both summer lovers. My husband does ski. I don't ski downhill. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that out loud or not, but I don't. My wife doesn't either. And we celebrate our 10-year anniversary too this year. Yes, congratulations. Um, So I I embrace cross-country skiing, but my kiddos are learning downhill skiing. So the winters can be long, but the summer is so sweet that we forget about how we felt in December and January and February <laughs> um, every year. Somehow that selective amnesia kicks in. So got involved uh, very heavily in the theater community locally and still am. And then had the great fortune to be part of Leadership Jackson Hole right when I first moved here, which I loved, um, kind of exemplified everything about living in a small, close-knit community where in a program you can have access to every facet of community life and meet people that you might not otherwise interact with in your day-to-day. And visited the state legislature during that program, wondered where all the women were. <laughs> um, in our Wyoming legislature. In our, and, and forgot that that was a thing, having come from a city. And made the mistake again of saying something on the phone to a friend about about my experience at the Wyoming legislature and my concerns over where we were headed. And that friend uh, dearly suggested that I should run for office, which was not something that had ever been in my sphere of comprehension. And so I did that. Um, they, they helped me get connected with the training program. So I did that, uh, lost that race. That was a house race in 2014, but ended up being appointed to a vacancy on the county commission and absolutely ended up in the right place at the right time for me have loved local government still love local government uh, especially in a small town where you can really be connected with the people that you're working with to solve problems in the community and ran for re-election in 2016 just ran for re-election again and in the meantime our family really nestled in and we started a family have two kiddos Uh, two boys love having them here and the opportunity to raise them here is pretty incredible. Isn't it? It's surprising every day how wonderful it still feels. And I think sometimes still feels surreal that we're here Mm -hmm. and uh, we work hard to be here, but surreal that we ended up here and was not on uh, the trajectory of any plan that I may have imagined for myself when I was a teenager in my twenties. And now after going through the last year, I'm like, what's the point of planning? Like, let's just live our life the best we can. (laughs) Well, we have to have some sort of roadmap plan, but you can always take a different direction. Yes. We always take a different turn, whether by choice or by force. And then you have a new map. You're following a new map. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself that as a uh, eternal planner, Mm -hmm. 
who sometimes has a hard time with change. Um, if I've invested a lot in a certain path, I think that's a good, that just find the new map. Yes. Now you started off with talking about your involvement in theater and you still are involved in theater. There's a, at least when I moved here, there were several different theater organizations. Which one or which ones are you involved in? I work with Oscar Theater Company. Mm -hmm. So I started as the education director when I first moved here and am now the artistic director, which speaking of new roadmaps, is a dream job in theater that I didn't know I wanted when I started um, as a performer. So I'm a performer and a producer and grew up performing dance first and then theater and then went to college for theater and had the chance to learn about producing when I was living in Los Angeles. And the mixture of producing and performing really satisfies all the components of my brain. Um, I get to do the planning, organizing, analytical side, and then dive into uh, the creative side. And I also just love theater because you get to work with so many different kinds of people and explore. Own a business. Yeah. (laughs) Same thing. Uh, And we do it every five weeks of a show. You have like a new family comes together at the beginning. You have to get, get in there real fast, explore, create some new world, whatever the world of the plays you're creating. And then you move on uh, at the end of that period. And I really enjoy that cycle. It's certainly bittersweet at times, but keeps everything churning and moving in a, a positive way. And have really loved the opportunity to have both guest artists come in and join us in our work. So our model is that we um, hire folks locally, but then we also work with partners in Los Angeles, Denver, and Chicago, um, and occasionally New York, but more on the the Western side of the country to bring in guest artists from other places to work with our community here and create a project, but also um, create some artistic exchange, which for me has been really satisfying because we are a small community and it breaks things up and builds new relationships. And those are sometimes long-term relationships. Our director for Thin Air Shakespeare which right now will be back this summer, has been coming for seven or eight years. And he has really gotten to know the community and his time spending time here in the summers. And it is a, a beautiful representation for me of what our community can be when we have the diversity and exchange and openness that bringing new people in and new voices in, even if just for a p- temporary period of time. Cool. Um, well, thank you for keeping the arts alive here in this small community. I, I know a lot of people come here and visit or, or move here and they're blown away by the culture. For being as rural of a location we are, we're quite blessed to have the resources of culture. Um, I agree. And I think looking at, we look at a lot of other mountain towns and how their arts community is functioning and how theater is operating in other places. And I think a unique characteristic we have here, which we are very invested in, is making sure that we are still making theater and making material within the community and not shifting to what some other places have done, which is presenting tours and bringing in bigger projects, but that there's something for me about theater that is part of the community conversation about where that community is. It's a way that the community can get to know itself better and have a vehicle 
for processing things that are happening. I love Shakespeare. Um, it's free, it's outside, and you can have two people sitting next to each other on the grass that would never interact in their daily life, but maybe they end up pre-COVID swapping food or mm-hmm. um, sharing a laugh together or connecting or offering, sharing napkins, whatever it is. And having that shared experience, which can really bring people from different backgrounds and different perspectives together and maybe create a foundation for how to talk about something more challenging that we might need to face in the future. That's so cool. I, I've never seen theater as with that perspective, and I appreciate you bringing it to to the forefront of, of thought. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And about a year ago, around this time, I interviewed Macy Mott as well. Awesome. There's so much we can do in this community. And Mm -hmm. I think the people that we attract here that have the creative talent and enthusiasm and the spirit, I think we see all across our community, which is we want to do this. We'll get people together and we'll go do it. And there's nothing we can't do. Mm -hmm. And I think our theater community is a place that exemplifies that and that there are so many voices to bring to the table in all sorts of ways. And it, it is nice to see and to know that people who you work with or you see their kids in school, your kids and their kids in school together, that it's available for anyone to perform. It's and available. You, mm-hmm. And I'm sure it happens in a big city as well, but here in, in this small community, it, it certainly makes it more, I think, attainable in some ways. I think so. You know, our kids, so we do a big kids musical every year this year. It, it has looked different. Um, we probably the hardest thing for us was not inviting any kid who wanted to participate to participate. Mm-hmm. And that was just because we had to limit numbers this year for all the reasons. And we are excited to get back to that. But I do think with the youth musical in particular, it's been fun to have families come in and their kids participate. And like the number of parents that say to us when I was my son or daughter's age, I did this and I'm so glad it's here. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how much I love going to see the theater when they come to see their show. And theater is one of the places where the the magic sparkles can be there for everyone, no matter what your role is. If you're just in the audience or you're working, pulling the curtain backstage, mm-hmm. uh, or you made the costumes that it just gives that magic of life. And I love getting to do that and getting to share it with kids and finding just finding the ways to amp up what we have i like what you said magic of life (laughs) that i feel that's like the definition of theater for me one of my teachers um one of my acting teachers used to talk about acting training being learning to become a professional human being And I have loved that because you are developing your acuity for experiencing the whole range of emotions um, and channeling them into hopefully something good and developing all parts of you, both physically, emotionally, and mentally to embody humanity, particularly if you have to embody the experience of someone else in a play, Mm -hmm. but that that if you can create that stuff of life and that magical moment in a theater where you have a group of people that will never be together ever again in that same exact combination and have one of those moments where the audience gasps together or laughs together and you just feel the vibrations in the air, it is life-changing and probably a little bit addictive. (laughs) A a good, um, something good to be addicted to. It's a good thing to be addictive to. Yes. And with being in theater and you talking about learning about being a professional human being. 
and and now that you are in office, you're a county commissioner, and you do get to interact with the state legislature. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to know more about what you saw down in Cheyenne and what prompted you to say there needed to be a change. But going back to being in politics and theater, being a uh, professional human being, is there a connection? Have, have those theater skills helped you now that you're county commissioner and future U.S. Senator. Ha <laughs> ha, so you've discussed my future. <laughs> um, I love this question because I will never forget pretty early, I don't remember if it was when I was running for office the first time or running for election to the commission after I'd been appointed. And you often get asked, you know, what do you do for your other job? And oh, I'm the director of a theater company. Well, theater and politics, there's not really a lot in common. I would completely disagree. <laughs> I would completely disagree, particularly, you know, I would like to think that our local government meetings are very accessible and not very dramatic, but politics are full of both a lot of pomp and circumstance at times and a lot of performing, uh, just maybe by untrained actors, but by humans. And I think the piece that we need more of in politics is the empathy side and the understanding something from someone else's point of view. And that is literally what we do in theater is put ourselves in someone else's shoes. So the skills I think are important. I know something that I have had to work on for myself. Um, I really, most people say to you, oh, you must be really comfortable with public speaking because you're in theater and there's no, uh, it, it's just so easy for you or looks so easy, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very different to put on the veil of a character and say the words that someone has written or behave a certain way because that's what the, the role calls for versus our elected officials who are representing other people but are speaking their own words. And I would say it's not something that scares me, but that it's something that I take very seriously of what it means to be representing the voice of other people and that it is an honor and a privilege and something not to be cast aside or taken lightly. And so I think at times, perhaps I can find humor in things that other people not might not find humorous, but I do think there is a surprising amount of overlap that is useful. I also think our, um, there are some parallels in production season of how you kind of a whole bunch of people get together, decide to do something for a little while, and then you all go back home. I'm like, well, that's kind of like what we do in different components of politics is that you get a whole bunch of people with different, ideally with different backgrounds and experiences together to solve a problem. And so there's some parallels process-wise that I found very interesting. But I do think there are opportunities for all of us, and this is both for our elected officials, but also for how we as a community and society view our political processes and elected officials to think more about what it means to have people who want to be curious, which is something we learn in the theater, have people who want to really learn and understand someone else's point of view and how we might look for that in our candidates and elected officials, as opposed to looking for people who will draw a hard line, take an ideological point of view and stick to it no matter what, or take a pledge that they're never going to raise a tax. And so they, I guess it makes it easy because you always know how you're going to vote on things, but it doesn't necessarily bring the mindset of problem solving and looking for solutions and collaborating, Mm -hmm. which is what we need. It's how democracy was designed to work, in my opinion, and a little bit more of that and better listening might 
allow us to have institutions and decision-making that are more responsive and function better. I'm going to just share my point of view. And um, you said better listening. I think it's better intentional, empathetic listening. I accept that amendment. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's exactly right. I completely agree. And I am blown away when people pigeonhole themselves and we'll use what you said, taxes. Like I will not raise taxes at all when you pigeonhole yourself in that way, because then you're, you're stating that in my opinion, that you're unwilling to have a discussion of a topic that could be helpful. And, and I understand your position of what taxes do. It charges people money to pay for other, you know, for things that government's going to spend that money on, but at least be open to the conversation and then form your opinion and share your voice of who you represent at that point. Absolutely. And I think it's a a two-way street and I, I don't have the answer on this, but I'm really curious as a community member, how we as a community can try to look for those skills in our elected officials, because I know something that I often hear people say, oh, I have to vote this way because I said I was going to do this when I was running for office. And if I don't, I'll lose my next race. And so if the, if the concern is how your constituents are going to hold you accountable for what you said you would do, which I, I do think our elected officials should be held accountable, but let's think about what we want to hold them accountable to. We want to hold them accountable to working on solving community problems, not making statements without all the information. And also as someone who's run when I haven't been in office and run when I've been in office, once you've served, you know different things, you learn things. And I would hope that we would want people who might take a position, invest time into it, learn things while they're there and that their problem solving and their thinking would evolve over time based off of the things they're learning, because we're all learning all the time, Mm -hmm. instead of being stuck on one idea and not open to learning anything new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Uh, a tough road. It (laughs) is. It's a tall ask. I I reference back to Napoleon Hill. He, have you ever heard of Napoleon Hill? Yes. Okay. Have you read his, any of his writings, Think and Grow Rich? I think I probably a long time ago. Okay. You should put it on the audible for you for next time you have to travel the state. I think I listen to it once a year. I love um, that. Yeah. And and I'll share with you and, and also put it in the show notes. There's a poem that he reads in the book, and it's from the father to the dad. And it talks about how the father just became so enraged as far as the kid's actions or got upset with the wrong things for the kid, you know, tearing his stockings. It's written in the early 1900s. And, and it says, I'm sorry versus listening to you of how something happened or why something happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's timeless. And you, you said earlier that, you know, perspective, not perspective, but, you know, the empathy. And, and my guest last time was Dr. Glenn Burnett. And one thing that he said is this country has trouble with perspective. And I think it, Mm-hmm. tied into some of what you had had said earlier and, and I appreciate it. I, I would love to hear from your perspective, um, from your point of view. Um, when you visited the state legislature, 
what is it at the state legislature that you felt needed to be changed? It's a great question. Um, I have, it's not a funny answer, but there, I had a visual experience of uh, sitting in the gallery of the house side and there was an elected official. I don't know who it was, an older gentleman. And he had his feet with his cowboy boots on like up on his desk and his cowboy hat tilted down over. They were on a break. And I think there was like a half even half eaten donut. And I was like, is this person asleep right now? Like I know they're on break. And I just had this feeling of like, who are these people that are making decisions that are impacting my life and my family's life and my community? And what are their priorities? And are they taking this job seriously? Are they do, you know, why are they doing it? So it isn't, it wasn't that it, you know, was a judgment because they do all, we should bring all perspectives to the table, but it was this moment of, I don't see myself down there and I don't expect to see myself everywhere I go, but I don't see any of, I'm concerned that I don't see my lived experiences at the table. And I think as I have worked in public service and been at a lot of tables and in many cases been the only woman at a lot of tables and in a lot of rooms, it has increasingly become apparent to me that if we don't have more lived experiences and a greater variety of lived experiences represented at the tables who are making decisions that impact all of us, we're not getting the best decisions we could. And if if anything, we're getting dangerous, detrimental decisions. And on good days, I honestly believe it is not, it's not that we're intentionally setting out to cause harm or make bad decisions, but we're making them within our own sphere of understanding and everybody else has the same sphere of understanding. And so there's no cross-checking of what are the unintended consequences? What voice are we not hearing? This seems like a good idea to us, but have we made sure that the people this is going to impact have had the chance to weigh in? What do they think about it? Is it going to do what we think it's going to do because we all have the exact same lived experience? And so I think today my feelings are we need as many different ideas on the table to solve the challenges we're facing, whether they're small challenges of where a pathway should go in our community, all the way up to how are we going to handle education in the United States in the future? And that if we get all the perspectives there, it's not my way or your way, it's our way. And there might be a third way that none of us thought of that's the product of all of us being willing to talk about our perspective, be vulnerable in front of each other, not judge each other, but just hear and accept that your life has led you to that perspective. My life has led me to mine. What do we think would work for the most number of us? And then move forward. But our, I think I see the blind spots of only being with and around and working with people who are just like us. I I appreciate your, excuse me, I appreciate your perspective on what you saw and how you felt. And I like what you said about um, it, it's not your way or, or the highway type of perspective. And, and I think this can personally for me, and this is why I do the podcast, so we can all hear other people's perspective. So if, if we don't sit down and have conversations with people that we don't interact with every day, how can we grow and be live full lives. And so I'm, I'm very curious with what you have learned through theater, but also being on the county commission that when you do voice your opinion, you are having a conversation with somebody and your ideas are not the ones which are implemented. 
And how do you help yourself know that, okay, I didn't lose. I had my opportunity to voice my opinion. It didn't go the way I wanted, but I'll support this. And you and I work out together on Friday mornings and you've talked about Hamilton. Yes. And I just recently, after you were talking about Hamilton, I listened to his autobiography. It was like 30 hours. You've you've done more than I did. (laughs) I like the songs better. (laughs) And, And when the constitution was coming out that he helped draft and the bill of rights, one of them that he wrote, he didn't completely agree with some of the perspectives. But once when it was agreed upon between the 13 states, he supported it, even though he initially didn't agree with it and he never spoke poorly about it. So going back to my question, being in the role that you're in, how can you help others understand and give some tools to help them as well go through this process? Thank you for that. I I would love for someone to give me some tools for that. Um, (laughs) It's not easy because we do, it does feel good to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think becoming a parent certainly has shifted a little bit of that for me because (sighs) you don't get to be right, even when you are right. And I think for me, some, you know, the stakes are certainly different on different issues. And so how far you have to hold on to, I'll call it my righteousness on a particular issue depends maybe on the stakes and what is at stake. But I think it is uh, process is important in those components. So in using the example that you gave about um, Hamilton, that if I know that I had a chance to be at the table and say what I wanted and needed to say and to represent a perspective and bring my ideas and hear other people's ideas and know when I start that I'm not getting all the things I want and that I'm part of a group and I'm, I'm prepared not to get all the things that I want, that if I can feel good that we vetted possibilities and opportunities, I am probably more likely to accept our outcome than if we didn't have diverse voices at the table when we were working on it, that we silenced voices who were participating, that those types of things, I think I personally want to work on doing a better job of, because I think that can create the buy-in for the outcome that leaves people feeling included, even if they didn't get everything they want. It's not the same as negotiating with a three-year-old hmm. where there, there's very little, um, you know, my three-year-old can be a tyrant and I talk about him being a tyrant. And I think when we think about democracy or we think about getting work done in our community or, um, you know, just trying to get our family through a day of its life, a day in its life that we have to fight the urge to want to be a tyrant and to want our way all the time and to take that my way or the highway approach. Because at the end of the day, I think it's very lonely, um, to be there if you have all the things that you want, but no one's there with you sharing them. Um, but it's really, really hard to do. And I know I have to work, do that internal work. Um, I use the term often emotional labor to, to get there and to try to help other people get there and live in that place where we can make our best decisions because we don't have our, the parts of our brain fired up that are in fight or flight mode where we're not making good decisions because we're in that mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think another really important tool that increasingly in the last year um, and with some of the dialogue that's happening in national politics is that we debate ideas and not people. And that when we get personal and make personal judgments or attack people personally, as opposed to their idea or their thought or 
anything other than that person, we put people into that fight or flight and we make compromise impossible mm-hmm. in my opinion. And so trying to stick on debating ideas and not people and making space for all voices, which means the voices I agree with and the voices I don't, um, I can't, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but one of my favorite Ruth Bader Ginsburg quotes, um, about free speech is that the heart that we have to make space for all of free speech. The essence is that we have to make that free speech is making space for the speech that you hate. And that that's the hardest work that we can do is to mm-hmm. listen to people who disagree with us. And most of us want to avoid conflict. I certainly do. Life is easier without it. But that's also weird that I'm in theater because plays are about conflict and that's mm. <laughs> what the play is about. And we're never going to avoid it. And so I think if all of us worked on tools in our life to deal with that and to to be comfortable and excited by the fact that we have different ideas and different perspectives instead of afraid of someone who is different than us, then we could come to the table with curiosity and excitement um, instead of fear. Yeah, so, so true. Did you ever read the book Rising Out of, what is it, Rising Out of the World of Hatred? No, I'm getting so many good um, Um, reading list items. We'll talk about it later, but because I do want to ask you another question, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling would like to remind you to bring your reusable bags when you go shopping for groceries or around town at your favorite store. Reusable bags are good for the environment and your wallet. Remember to wash those bags frequently and when possible, bag your own items. This community has already helped remove millions of single-use plastic bags from the waste stream. Now, let's reduce the amount of paper bags purchased. Food waste composting, in addition to yard waste composting, is available at the Trash Transfer Station facilities. Call 307-733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operation. Natalie, welcome back. We were just talking about um, the balance of representing people and how to have conversations with people. And, And I love what you had just said, it's you debate ideas and not people. And when we can go into a conversation with somebody, even though it's a person in front of us, it's still an idea. It's it's not the individual. Just because that individual has a different idea doesn't mean that individual is a bad person. But I want to transition into some other topics, if, if that's all right. Yes. Okay. You have a child who has a disability. Is it a disability? You know, I it's thank you for asking that. I've been learning a lot about language and talking about disability. And I recently, uh, through a training that I did with Cultivate Ability, learned that there's a whole wide ranging perspectives, a a wide range of perspectives within the disability community about how um, language is used. Mm -hmm. And so I have a son who was born with a right arm that ends right after his elbow. Mm -hmm. And I think as a parent, when he was born, I probably felt really uncomfortable with that language. And so I had done a a deep dive into the limb different community and learned a lot of new things very quickly to try to prepare myself uh, to parent my son. And in where we are now, he's three. I think I am getting closer to saying, yeah, he has a disability. I think that the binary or the choices that I'm learned about recently that excited me is that some people like to lead with, um, I have a disabled son or I, I am disabled or to say like, I have a son who is disabled. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people choose 
that that is part of their identity that they lead with and some that it's, I'm a person who has this thing. I'm exploring that. I'm super excited to explore that with my son. And I think uh, it's been interesting to have to make choices for him because of his age that he doesn't necessarily get input on. And so as he is growing, I am very excited to start to teach him and then to understand how he sees himself Mm -hmm. and the choices he wants to make and to give him the tools he needs. So yes, I have a son who has a disability. Um, He has a limb difference and he is delightful. (laughs) You call him a terror. He's a tyrant and he's delightful. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on how much sugar he's had and whether or not he's hungry. (laughs) Sounds like every other child. That's right. And he's living as normal of a life and usual of a life as anybody. He's learning to ski. He's learning to ski. Um, There's no, no, no difference. He, yeah. I mean, that's my experience right now. I think I, I definitely hold my breath sometimes when we're going into new circumstances. And I think I, there's a lot that's me, that's not him. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I, I think people, I speaking about my experience becoming a parent the first time, you know, feeling wholly unprepared and like, wait, I'm in charge of this person mm-hmm. and all, all the feelings. And then this experience with my second son of, oh, like I, I, I'm going to have this, like, I know what to do with the infant. I know how to change the diaper. I know I got the strategies, total curveball. And so it has been important, I think, for me to recognize how much work there is to do. That's my work and not his work and that he can't do for me. And he's going to have his own journey and his own work to do as we all do. But it has been quite uh, the roller coaster ride emotionally and even just like in, in the daily activities um, have loved being in a small community, but at the same time, it's a small community. And so connecting with other people experiencing the same thing that I might be experiencing is harder, but have been able to make some of those connections, but have felt very taken care of and safe, which has been, I think, a, a real blessing. I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned about the community. Other people I've interviewed have talked about how supportive the community, but, you know, at, at the same time, in a way you, you and your family are alone. It's very isolating. It, I mean, we have so many fabulous aspects, traits about our community, but then because we are so small, it creates other, other problems or other obstacles, you know, to, to overcome um, how many other children in this town have a, a limb disability like like your son? I have not met or heard of any family with a kid under age 18. And so if they're out there, find me. Let's uh-huh. hang out. <laughs> um, but have uh, had wonderful access to resources through the Children's Learning Center and their occupational therapy program and connecting with, you know, it's like one of the times where I'm like, thank goodness for the internet. Like this is serving a useful purpose and connecting with some national communities and some national nonprofits to, I think in the early days, it was partially like being reassured. Like there are other kids just like my son out there. I haven't seen one yet. I haven't met him yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see them online and I can chat with their parents and learn from their experiences or trade tips or find, um, it was really fun to find a device from a foundation actually in the UK that we attached to Woody's bike and now we can ride his bike easier and dig in and have fun in that way. But it can feel um, very isolating. And in a world, I think where for better or worse, appearance still matters. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and we all seek validation around, you know, putting on our best face and presenting, you know, images of our picture perfect family life and all of the challenges that presents for all of us looking at those kinds of things. And then the feelings you have as a parent about wanting your child to feel successful, wanting them to feel like they are enough and all of the fear around that as a parent and helping him go through life and meet whatever challenges he faces. And it, it just has like illuminated so much about the human experience that has nothing to do with his arm, but just with like, wow, this is like, it's so amazing. We all want to be like exemplary and special and noticed. And then all of a sudden you have a kid that has something that's like very obviously different. And you're like, wait, we just want to be like everyone else. Mm. (laughs) And like those dichotomies of what it means to be part of humanity are very real. And we can hold such two opposing ideas in our body and in our mind and in our heart at the same time. Um, and just have to work through them on a daily basis. Yeah, it it certainly goes back to what you were <clears throat> saying earlier, especially about having a voice. Mm-hmm. And was your voice, were you being represented at that time? And ensuring that um, somebody like your son is going to be represented and have a voice and not people not look at him, oh, your arm ends at your elbow, mm-hmm. but look at your son Woody for who he is and what he's capable of mm-hmm. and Nona who helped start the vertical harvest and she says it's phenomenal to see all these people who work there with disabilities and how they have grown and what it she has learned is teach to the person's skills and you'll see them rise mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's yeah. so much about life, whether somebody has a disability or not, we, we have to be more understanding of who somebody is. Absolutely. I think, you know, we're right now with where Woody is in his development, it's a time for uh, learning a lot of motor skills. And one of the things that starting to work on is using scissors in preschool. And he, you know, we talk a lot with our therapists and with, you know, educators and just in our own research about when do you give them a tool and when do you just let them figure it out themselves? Um, and we've certainly generally with him fallen on the, like, we're just going to let him figure out how to do stuff with what he's got. Um, Mm -hmm. because he's always going to have that around no matter what and have, you know, slowly started to, to get into the idea of some adaptive equipment and what that is. And I think it is, it's become fun and exciting to think about, well, how could we like help this so that he could have his independence because he's certainly at an age where being independent is very important, Mm -hmm. but be able to accomplish something or do it safely and develop skills. So I, I get like, I probably learn more from him on a daily basis, uh, in the work that I have to do. And it's really, it's so rewarding and so challenging. (laughs) (laughs) but I got to stay committed and wouldn't have, you know, there are days where like, I don't think about it at all. And then days where I'm like, wow, like, wow, that this happened and that this can happen and how amazing this is. And like humanity is full of so much and there's so much out there. And this is our little slice of it. (laughs) Yes. We do have a little slice of it for sure. Natalie, this is time with you has been Fabulous. I so appreciate you coming and sharing so much of you and your family and your what you do for this community. Um, I appreciate it. If people wanted to connect with you, what is an 
great way for them to reach out and connect with you. Thank you. Um, I am most active probably on Instagram. So that's at Commissioner Macker. But I also, because I love the back and forth. So this has been super fun for me. I have office hours on Friday mornings. They're virtual right now. They'll probably stay virtual for a while. Um, on Zoom, you can sign up on my website at macroforyo.com and come and share a cup of coffee and chat about whatever's on your mind. Uh, can certainly be issues on our agenda, but also just something you see in the community or how you're feeling. I uh, really love to connect like that. Fabulous. Well, thank you for being a public servant and for being a fabulous mom and wonderful community member. Thank you. Yeah. Good to see you, Natalie. Likewise. Bye. To learn more about Natalia and her community involvement and the Off Square Theater, visit the Jackson Hole Connection, episode number 136. Thank you, everyone, who helps me keep the Jackson Hole Connection on air. All of you regular listeners, my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, my brother, Joshua, my editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, and that's right, you, Richard Levy. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.